nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us again here on on Monday. Uh, I appreciate so much all of the people that have been listening and have been letting me know what you enjoy about the show and what you would like to hear. What I keep hearing from people is um, they want to know more about how we can create a uh, peaceful and collaborative workplace. And, and how do we do that? And so today's show is called uh, Collaboration is Just One Human Away. And that's really how I look at it. Um, collaboration doesn't have to be a big, uh, huge concept. It's just how do we interact with each person that's in front of us at the moment. So um, I believe that I am coming to this show from a fund- foundational belief that all collaboration starts with respectful, open, and relational communication. And that type of communication needs to be the rule with everyone we meet, whether they're colleagues, coworkers, other employees, patients, family, or a passing brush of hello to somebody on the way uh, to our car. A few years ago, I would have said that that tenet was well understood now in the healthcare industry and being practiced by the vast majority of healthcare professionals. The last two years, however, have shown me that there is a significant group of people out there, professional and otherwise, who do not want to maintain these social skills with everyone. My guest today is Dr. Mary Tillich, and uh, she has spent her career making life better for people she encounters by using these positive techniques to create and maintain an atmosphere of safety, trust, and focus on the patient health in every environment she encounters, whether that's in the clinic to the boardroom. She's invited one of um, her employees, uh, who is uh, Caitlin Ryder, and she uh, has the wonderful title of Operational Excellence Coordinator, so we will be talking with her also. But I wanted to invite, uh, uh, welcome both of you um, to the show, and especially um, Dr. Tillich, would you like to uh, share a little bit about yourself and how you've come to um, this point in your career of seeing the importance of collaboration? Absolutely. Good morning, and uh, thanks for having us on your show. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a physician, but I see myself primarily as a mother of two sons, and hence I see myself as a consumer in the healthcare industry as well. My uh, physician life started very early as a child, watching my physician mother take care of an entire community with the sole purpose of improving the life of one person at a time. So it was very much patient-centered, and I'm talking about in the 1960s, 1970s, um, and 1980s, up to uh, three or four years ago when my mom passed from lung cancer. So I have this foundation of patient-centered care from my very young age. And as I traveled around the world to come to the United States, and I finished my residency and postgraduate training at the University of Illinois in Chicago, I landed in Northwest Indiana, which is the Munster Highland area 
almost two decades ago, and I've been practicing here since then as an internal medicine physician who has mm-hmm. a passion in also bariatrics, which is obesity management. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, in addition to this, taken up some board positions with the hope of uh, bringing on cultural change in the healthcare delivery. And I'm also finishing my MBA from the Kelly School of Business in the uh, business of medicine to hopefully add to the healthcare landscape and make the United States healthier and happier. Sounds like a great thing to do, and you sound like a very, very busy person. Uh, Dr. Tillich, where did your mother practice uh, and where did you grow up? Yes, I grew up in a very small town in India at the very southern okay. tip of the continent, which is surrounded by three oceans. Wow. Uh, called Tutikoran, and my mother uh, was a family physician uh, in uh, trained in uh, um, obstetrics. So my mother actually delivered the first baby on the floor of a rented apartment and then developed into her own um, uh, sole proprietor, had her own uh, little hospital with 50 wow. inpatient beds, a labor ward, an OR, and this is what I grew up watching. <laughs> well, that <laughs> is amazing. You certainly had a, a tall standard to um, to follow. Um and Caitlin, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got this wonderful title, and tell us what that actually entails. And uh, and then we're going to see um, how you can share with us like what it's like to be an employee with Dr. Tyler T- Tillack. Sorry. Sure, sure. And thank you again for having us on this. Um, I, Like I said, my name is Caitlin, and I have a master's in communication from Purdue University. I've loved speaking with people and always working together in groups. It's always been something passionate about myself of just creating something. And I've always been also passionate about healthcare. So it was an opportunity about three years ago uh, that Dr. Tlack and myself, we crossed paths. I, I've actually been a patient of doctors for over 10 years now. And so I was very familiar with the type of quality care that she and her nurse practitioners as a team really um, collaborate on producing for patients. And so when I had the opportunity to join her team, I jumped at it. I was definitely excited to be able to be a part of this and offer this type of care in uh, Northwest Indiana. So my, my goal is always to work together with doctor to spread this message that she was talking about. So my position uh, is to make sure, I think in a, in a bottleneck, and doctor, you can chip in on this as well, is to always make sure that we are patient-focused. You know, with healthcare, it can become quite convoluted. So we want to eliminate any bottlenecks and make sure that we have the leanest processes to make sure that our providers can focus on that patient care because we know when we're focusing on patient care and patient relationships, we are making sure that we have the utmost patient safety and that, mm-hmm. therefore, we are um, have the time to do and excel at care coordination. So I'm responsible for, you know, her, her marketing, um, her social media reach. I'm in charge of kind of the behind-the-scenes work and making sure that the providers have that time to sit with patients and do what we do best, and that's provide quality care for uh, this area and, uh, you know, hopefully in the future with um, uh, telemedicine, a broader depth of patients. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that is... The reason I brought uh, Caitlin on board was 
was uh, that she was a very positive spirit that I needed uh, to be around my patients, to make them feel that we are here to support them in their decisions and make them healthier and happier. And she brought that energy into my practice. And uh, to add to it, I wanted to create process control, meaning we, had, we would take processes to improvise, make it lean, make sure that it is... Uh, um, relating to the voice of the customer, which is the voice of the patients. What is it that they mm-hmm. need? And we then bring it on and create process improvement. And Caitlin is very heavily involved in it, and that is why her title is Operational Excellence Coordinator. Well, I'm going to bet that the the people that are at the, the bedside that are really with those patients are thanking you 100 times a day because there are so many things that pull um, uh, professionals, nurses, and other people away from the patient constantly. And to have somebody that can help keep the, the nurse there or keep the, the um, caregiver there is always a wonderful thing. So... Um, Talk a little bit more about that patient-centered. A lot of times I think people just um, use that phrase, it's patient-centered, but um, I know you got it from the cradle almost with your mother seeing how she really was able to focus on this person at this time. When you try to explain that to other people that are coming into your organization, how do you, how do you get that across to them? Certainly. When I say patient-centered, what I mean is that what we are trying to deliver in healthcare is directed towards what the needs of the patients are. It is mm-hmm. not what I feel should be how this healthcare is delivered, but what does the patient need? And, and that is a, a significant change in the culture of healthcare itself, as you you have very uh, eloquently voiced the concerns about. And, and I would say for in, um, in discussion with my physician colleagues, a lot of times we in our medical schools were trained to be these um, horses at the Kentucky Derby, basically. You need mm. to be the best in your field. You need to compete with each other, and you have to come first. So this is mm. how we were trained in medical school. And then you jump into ground zero, and you find that as one person, you are completely ineffective. You need Mm -hmm. to develop that team that can then bring diversity, bring different perspectives to that particular problem that the patient, who is the center of our healthcare delivery needs, and then deliver that as a wholesome, collective approach. So to me, patient-centered has been just part of my heartbeat, my breath. I don't have to think twice about it. Mm -hmm. How do I get my other physician colleagues and the cross-disciplinary team to feel that need for collaboration that will drive them to the voice of the customer, which is the need of the patient, is if a patient is in any part of the healthcare spectrum, from a hospital to an outpatient facility to being at home and needing some healthcare advice, how do mm-hmm. I take that need of the patient and then deliver the best approach that I can give? I'm certainly not going to be able to do it as one physician because the pa- healthcare is so complex. There's mm-hmm. going to be so many different subspecialty inputs that needs to be weighed in. There has to be delivered through nurses and nurses' aides. There has to be a lot of care coordination that has to occur between case managers and social workers and On top of all of this, we have to be together to make sure that patient safety is our utmost priority. 
Great. And when I hear you say, um, you know, the patient's priorities first, it makes me think of when I'm talking with my students, the way I describe it is that, you know, that patient that comes into the um, emergency room or intensive care and they have uh, chronic lung disease or they have some other aspect of that. And, and what's most priority to them is the next cigarette. And it's very hard, I know, when patients are, when nurses are seeing patients that are bluish and, you know, clearly having trouble breathing and what they want is the cigarette, um, the, it's easy for them to demand, no, here's what you need, oxygen and this and this and this. And what I found is that unless I can start with their desire, and after how many years, 50 years of smoking, one more cigarette is not going to make the difference, but it might make that person calm down enough to be able to work with me in the future. Is that what you're talking about? You know, actually, it is a relationship building. How do you, how do your spouse begin to trust you? How does mm-hmm. your friend begin to trust you? It is about a relationship building. So having been in this area for almost two decades, my patients feel that trust. So to mm-hmm. me, it is I did not concoct this. I did not have it choreographed. It is being the true human you are mm-hmm. and caring absolutely for what that patient is going through can be read very clearly by the patient who's on the other side, whether they are smoking. Right. Alcoholics, uh, obese, having mental health issues, having cardiac issues, it really does not matter. At that mm-hmm. point, when you sit there and a patient who's a heavy smoker is now unable to breathe in the emergency room and we are not making it sound like it is your problem, you created this, that's mm-hmm. not how we face it. That mm-hmm. is where patient-centered means to me. The patient is struggling. She did not choose to smoke because she wanted to mess up her life. She made right. some wrong, he or she made some wrong decisions, but that's not the time to make them feel that they created this upon themselves. To me, right. it is how can I make them feel that this is a co-production? Unless we both partner together in this, I'm not going to be able to make you feel better. Eventually, mm-hmm. I'm going to help you quit smoking if we can, but the first priority here is I want to make sure you're going to be breathing, that I can avoid putting you on a ventilator. I am right. your advocate. I'm going to bring the best skills we have in this hospital system to make sure that you're going to be safe. Giving them that trust, giving them that knowledge base that has been given to me, bringing that partnership of the different physicians and the cross-disciplinary team to ensure that this patient is going to get the best outcome in this environment. That's my focus in an emergency. Yes, I agree with you. Um, um, We have just a couple of minutes before break, um, and so I don't want to go into anything um, too involved, and I think we're at a nice spot here to stop. Um, So why don't we go to break right now, and then we'll come back and talk more about the concept of preventative care and how um, that's really what we want to focus on in the future. So I want to thank everybody for joining us. If you're just joining us now, our topic today is collaboration is just one human away. I'm talking with Dr. Mary Tillich, and um, she has had over 20 years of experience with um, seeing the patient as center and um, seeing that collaboration is how we will meet those needs of that patient. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and yes, this is uh, Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am talking today uh, to Mary Tillich, Dr. Mary Tillich, and um, also um, Caitlin Ryder, who is doing a lot of work with uh, uh, connecting with patients and uh, helping with communication and and, uh, uh, that sort of thing. So we want to go into talking about um, the concept of preventative care and how important that is. And so, uh, Caitlin, could you mm-hmm. start us off there and, sure. and tell us sure, a little bit about that? I think uh, we, had, we had chatted a little bit when talked about the idea of, you know, changing the culture for patients first. And I said, Leanne, I think what you said about having and assessing a patient need is important. 
we live in an area that's driven by mill industry and healthcare industry. So sometimes getting people to understand um, that preventative care is completely necessary to preventing long-term chronic health issues uh, or cancers and different comorbidities can be a challenge. And so one of the things the doctor has really taken by the helms is, is educating patients and having an open and honest dialogue with them about this and really the necessity of having preventative care. One of the things we've done for the past five years is have a twice-a-month radio show at a, a local radio station that patients can call and talk to doctor, but also that we can use it as a platform of education of why preventative care is necessary and how preventive care is at the fulcrum of uh, collaboration of care between um, your primary care physician and your other specialists. We've done different opportunities for community outreach, as well as really tried to use um, the ABIM and Consumer Reports uh, mission for choosing wisely to try to help um, reduce redundancies. Caitlin, can you explain what ABIM is? Not everybody might yeah. know. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's the American Board of Internal Medicine. So they work together with Consumer Reports on this initiative, uh, Choosing Wisely. And Choosing Wisely is looking at what patients... Um, uh, different uh, redundancies in tests or overutilization of medicine and tests. And it's really encouraging patients to have that open dialogue with their providers and say, why do I need this test? What does this mean? If I don't have this test, what does it mean? Uh, you know, I'm coming in for a chronic cold and I'm not getting medication. Why? I, you know, I, I feel like I should get a script every, every time I come. So it's really enhancing a patient experience by having that thorough conversation with their providers. And I can mm -hmm. speak personally um, from a primary care model and preventative care model. My father, who you know worked in the mills for 45 years, ended up having a heart attack a couple years ago um, and never had a primary care physician. And I, we laugh about it because I work with an amazing, mm -hmm. passionate provider. And, uh, you know, he just was one of those people that if, if it wasn't broke, don't fix it. Unfortunately, <laughs> what would happen was he was broken and he just didn't know. So, mm -hmm. you know, my, my, my father, it kind of came from a work injury. They end up finding out that he had had a heart attack. And then we were, you know, all of a sudden thrown into this medical crisis. And the first person I knew to reach out to was Dr. Mary Telak because I knew that she would do the best in putting these pieces together that were um, fragmented. And that is a story we hear very often from a lot of patients who are transitioning care to our facility, that they have all these pieces they bring in, but there's no real conversation between specialists or they don't have a, you know, a primary care provider. They don't have someone who's a master puzzle piece fitter <laughs> or right. as doctor alluded to really a health care quarterback, someone who's team driven um, and is looking at that approach. And so my, my, my father is doing much better now and he comes to see us every, you know, every six months or every three months as necessary. But really that mission and that core and that center of having preventative care um, for every patient is something that we've really continued to work on because it is difficult to get patients to understand that you've got to take charge of your health care, and that's by coming in for those wellness visits. Um, part of that is I think we may be one of the only places that really educate our patients on their insurance as well mm -hmm. with the changing landscape of health care. Sure. We have a, an open dialogue with them even about their deductibles or what their insurance means. We start that conversation very early so that we can continue that conversation later after they, you know, have transitioned their care to us and we can help elucidate any of those um, areas where their care is not being 
worked on with other or coordinated with other physicians. What I was mentioning uh, before too is I think so many people like your dad. Um, it's fear based, you know. Uh, maybe I don't want to know what's going wrong, or <clears throat> if I don't know, it won't exactly. hurt me. And um, I think when they can come to somebody that, as um, Mary, you were saying, that they can come to your care and they can trust you and they can learn that you will always be looking out for their best uh, uh, health. Uh, there's less fear about it. Oh, yeah, I can come every three months because I know it's not going to be a painful, terrible thing. I'm going to enjoy some time with Dr. Tillich and um, I'm going to go away feeling more confident about my own health. Right, and uh, this is where my uh, biggest role that I see uh, myself as a physician in the third decade of my career is educating people about population health management. That is a buzzword that you hear around uh, everywhere, but Mm -hmm. it means a lot more than what just the population health management may sound to you. That means Mm -hmm. to me, we have a whole spectrum of population. So we want to bring... Uh, people like Caitlin's dad who think that they are very healthy but don't know their underlying health mm-hmm. to, into the uh, physician's offices so that we can evaluate them and have a game plan, a next five-year game plan for their health and happiness. So we screen them for physical and mental health, both of which are very important to me when I talk prevention. I see mm-hmm. behavioral health becoming a significant part of primary care, and that's a, a huge drive in my practice. So that's one segment of the population who have no current medical problems, do not have any restrictions in their day-to-day life, but then we do the physical exam, we screen them for several things from cardiac and metabolic issues like diabetes, blood pressure, um, risk for heart disease, lung disease, cancers that are age-appropriate and environment-appropriate as well, and then mental health issues. Recognize some of the early symptoms, treat them so that they can lead healthy lives. Then the second part of our population health management and prevention is primary prevention where we know that patients have chronic diseases such as hypertension, diabetes, sleep disorders, they may be smokers, but they have not developed end organ damage, like they have not developed Mm -hmm. blockages in their heart or had a stroke or have kidney disease. Now, this is still, we are in the primary prevention phase, so we can do significant disease management, lifestyle management, dietary modification, behavior modification, positive thinking, so many things that we bring in on the outpatient preventive care side on a primary prevention uh, platform. Then you have the third group of people who have chronic end organ damages, who have had multiple stents, they're getting their valves replaced, they have kidney disease, they may be on dialysis, they are on insulin and they're very brittle diabetics ending up in the hospital frequently. These are patients that we do secondary prevention strategies wherein we do aggressive acute care management in the hospital, collaborate with other physicians who are involved in their care, come up with a collective game plan work with case managers and social workers in the hospital to come up with a post-acute care and transitional care management. We bring them into our offices within a week of discharge. We call them within 24 to 48 hours of leaving the hospital. We come up with a plan to make sure that they are able to follow the instructions to treat these uh, aggressive secondary uh, risk factors aggressively so that they do not end up being rehospitalized, which not only increases their risk of even death, 
but it also increases cost to the entire spectrum of healthcare delivery. So now I've given you a whole spectrum of population health (laughs) management. And then the final group are end of life. I've Mm -hmm. treated my patients very humbly speaking, from multiple generations, and I've treated them to their deathbed. And I have beautiful moments where I've had to um, drive directly from one of my conferences to a home where uh, this particular patient of mine, the mother of um, eight children, was passing with hospice care under my supervision, and she wanted to see me before she breathed her last, and I was able to be there with family. So I'm talking about preventive care in the entire space. Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is amazing right there. So you're actually needing to pick. Uh, I mean, as you talked about it, clearly you're starting with your patient and you and your clinic, and then you're coming to a cost cross-disciplinary collaboration of care. How do you find those people that you want to be on your team? Excellent question. And I think the strength of my practice, the strength of my uh, history in the last two decades in providing the best clinical outcome is because of the relationships that I've built with my physician colleagues. I Mm -hmm. know this is like having a plumber and an electrician. How do you know that this plumber is doing a good job with you? You you can see the outcomes, and I've seen outcomes of every subspecialty, and I've been very proud of the physician skills that we have been able to bring into this area. And my uh, biggest... uh, um, success, I would say, is to show these physicians how much partnership and teamwork and make their lives better, make, bring safety both for themselves as well as the patients. So it has been a, a long-term process, but certainly it has been challenging at certain levels, but what I have achieved in most cases of collaboration with my physician colleagues is something that I respect, something that I admire, and I uh, and I would nurture it every moment. And this collaboration and this uh, relationship is not just with physician colleagues. Very important mm-hmm. is with my nurses. So the last 20 years that I've had the ability to build this relationship with my nurses in the hospital, a significant number of them have become my patients, brought their family members to become my patients. And that is because of the trust they have in, what, in the relationship with them as well as with the patients. They know that mm-hmm. I'm going to be their patient advocate. I'm going to be the safety um, person, but I'm going to have the beautiful relationship of the nurses to make my passion seen across to the patients. Because in the hospital, if you think about it, Leanne, physician gets a few minutes with the patient, but a nurse right. spends the entire day with the patients. Mm-hmm. They make the biggest difference in the healthcare outcomes. And I was even chatting with my staff and, and Caitlin, and I said to them, a lot of times, my physicians and myself would chat and say, maybe we should move to a warmer area. Maybe we should move to Florida. And then we would say, no, the reason I will not move, I would think twice, is because I'm still enjoying what I'm doing in healthcare. And the biggest mm-hmm. part of that is the nurses, the relationship that we have built exactly. with the nurses and the nurses' assistants, the cross-disciplinary staff who are so important in that healthcare delivery process. If I have to move to another area and develop this relationship, it's going to take me another two decades, and I don't have that two right. decades. Right, I agree. So what happens when somebody comes into your realm of collaboration with a patient where their uh, way of caring with the patient is really more about their own 
needs rather than the patients and um, maybe a more abrupt uh, way of dealing with the patient. I mean, even I, I guess I've come up uh, against with my father in particular when he's had some really difficult things where there's been some people that, um, let's just say, didn't have great social skills but were tremendously capable in, um, uh, in his case, cardiac surgery. Um, sure. How do you deal with that person who doesn't want to become part of the collaborative uh, patient-focused care that you have? Sure. And, and I, mean, I, I have those challenging situations every day. And the way I approach it is the way I approach everything in life, being honest and open in my conversation. So I have many times had to call these physicians uh, personally, one-on-one, and explain to them, we, we are working as a team. I very much appreciate your skills and what you bring in to our patients, but this is how you need to bring the other physicians into the team. There are decisions that are made by other physicians, and I end up being the quarterback always. And they've, mm-hmm. and they've learned to respect that. And I'm always very respectful of them. I'm, mm-hmm. I am not talking to them um, in a condescending manner. Certainly, there could be some of them who may find it to be um, arrogant because I am calling them out. But mm-hmm. there has to be somebody as a patient advocate. And I would always be that person, knowing that my physician colleagues bring in skills. They have their own stresses in life. I'm sure they have having a good or a bad day, depending upon the day. So I take into Mm -hmm. consideration all of that as I speak to them, and I have never been uh, unsuccessful in bringing them together to bring the best for my patients. That says a lot for you. Um, And again, I guess I think in terms of the people that are listening can say, oh, yeah, well, that's easy for her. That's maybe her personality, and she has all this passion, and she has this ability and maybe a, a natural tendency toward doing this. What about me, who's a very quiet person or somebody who um, isn't very good with interacting, you know, with other people? How do I develop this kind of collaboration with the people I'm working with when that's not my nature? Well, there are sometimes change is inevitable. We are in a point in healthcare landscape where if we don't change into collaborative care model, we do not exist. So... Mm -hmm. Physicians who feel like collaboration is not for me, I'm sure they can find many other things to do in this world. Mm-hmm. But when, it's, when you look at accountable care organizations, you talk about bundled payments. You talk about the different, uh, different types of uh, reimbursements that are now active. If we tend to think that we are a one-person show, it's not going to work. So mm-hmm. those physicians need to reach out to maybe their friends. Um, they need to reach out to people that they feel comfortable. I'm sure they feel comfortable with some of their physician mm-hmm. colleagues and, and develop that initial step. And I think from a healthcare administration perspective as well, I think yeah. there's been a lot of work on physician leadership. Not everybody yeah. can be a physician leader. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be that way. And, and I always say this point, leadership to me is not about power. Leadership to me is about hierarchy of responsibility. Responsibility. So mm-hmm. when you have these leaders who see how responsible, uh, how, how much it is their responsibility to make sure that the physician understand that this team is only going to make them stronger, they can bring on that change. It is a cultural mm-hmm. change that has to be led by those few people who have the passion in making that change. I, I think agree. I think that, doctor. Go ahead, Caitlin. No, I, I think she's completely correct on that. 
I mean, if, if, you know, you have people who that is not their natural tendency, you know, always small changes are best for that type of personality, but you're going to be more encouraged to make those small changes if you have an administration or a culture that embraces that and supports you while you, you know, shift your paradigm and and start seeing this collaborative model and and start being able to change those uh, maybe antisocial or quieter behaviors into Mm -hmm. seeing that you can work with the team and, and still be successful. So I think she was right on with that point and it's that change that we need to see in a lot of those large organizations. Yeah, I can actually I tell think- you an example. There was a physician, an oh, electrophysiologist, who um, was very probably was not used to women speaking to him, um, uh-huh. and he he was the first two interactions I had was kind of very cold and abrupt, and uh, then I called him. Um, uh, on a personal uh, call and I told him I want to talk to you I am your friend I want to develop this partnership though, so that we can make this a collaborative model this will bring the best for the patient and at the same time it will bring you some information that I as a primary care physician have seen this patient for years that will bring to your knowledge that will make you make better decisions and actually you will look much better You and you mm-hmm. will be also safer your liability is lesser so this is what team brings in and he felt so comfortable after that conversation now, even before he goes to see the patient, he calls me and he says, tell me about the patient. What, what other data you have on this patient? Uh-huh. Excellent. <laughs> so Excellent. it makes a That's... big difference. And I've had several, yeah. I can give you several of these instances where the subspecialists who are very strong in their skills and know who they are, they want the help of people like us. They would uh-huh. call me and they would say, Mary, give me an idea of what do you think is going on? So that makes mm-hmm. them, that primes their brain to make a better decision about does this patient need a valve right. replacement? Does the patient need a procedure to correct a certain thing? So there's so much data that physicians with this diverse interaction with a patient can bring onto the table that makes the decision a much better one for the patient. That's a great place for us to stop here. But uh, one of the things I was thinking of as you talk is that perception is reality. And so if somebody is focused on one perception of a patient, they need that broader perspective from somebody else so they can say, oh, okay, that's completely different than what I thought this person was coming from. So we'll come back in just a couple of minutes here and we'll uh, continue along that line. So uh, thank you so much for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, uh, exploring the world of nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. I'm here today with Dr. Mary Tillich and Caitlin Ryder, and we are talking uh, about collaboration. It's just one human away. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, uh, exploring the world of nursing. Uh, We're talking today about collaboration and how it's just one human away. We can do it with every, we can do it with every individual we're encountering. Um, I'm talking with Dr. Mary Tillich and uh, also Caitlin Ryder, and we're we're just kind of discussing. Actually, it's been very interesting discussion. We've kind of moved ourselves into this uh, concept of. Uh, men and women working together, and especially in a very professional level, uh, being able to be open to each other and learning from one another. Uh, Mary, do you have anything you want to share on that topic about men and women being able to work alongside each other with respect? Sure. Sure. Uh, in healthcare, I look at uh, such a diverse environment of professionals providers, physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, uh, OR staff, and so on and so forth. It's not just men and women. It's also a multi-ethnic crowd, and I think that's what we are seeing in all industries across the world. Um, Mm -hmm. The the world has become pretty small now, and we have to be able to understand multi-ethnic and cross-cultural differences in the social behaviors and the interactions and how Mm -hmm. they communicate. And I think that is a skill. And if you're um, a normal person wanting uh, positive interactions, and I I think you will see what a beautiful environment this 
um, diversity can bring. I most often enjoy this multicultural, multi-ethnic environment that I have mm-hmm. to navigate on a day-to-day basis. There, there are some challenges. There's, uh, I'm not going to say that this is a, a smooth sail, but most often when our goals are the same. So at the end of the day, it is about alignment of our goals. And if we can bring that alignment, I feel like we are able to cross over these uh, differences between a man and a woman um, and the different cultures. Mm-hmm. So if you have a patient <clears throat> that feels fearful, say a man that comes in t- uh, and is concerned about having a woman caring for him, how do you, how do you break through that uh, blockage that maybe has been in his mind for whoever many years, or it may be a cultural thing where it's uh, a white male that is looking at a female that's from another country and wondering, oh my gosh, is this not safe for me? Sure. Um, you know, fortunately for me, um, I have equal number of male and female patients in our practice. We have 11,000 plus patients in our <coughs> practice and it's growing rapidly. Um, I have certainly heard of occurrences where there has been some apprehension uh, among some of the patients regarding certain um, certain uh, providers as to whether they feel comfortable or not. To me, I um, I'm a female physician, and I have I, I present myself very strongly. I present mm-hmm. myself very friendly, and I think I've been able to. Um, bring across to the other person, whatever ethnicity or race they belong to, that I am part of them and I'm am the, there for them. And I've never had an issue where a patient did not want to see me because of my ethnicity or because I was am a woman. Now I can't say the same for other situations, and I'm sure there mm-hmm. will be few. Um, and I'm hoping that the uh, the world will become a better place for everybody, that we can uh, live together and trust each other, especially mm-hmm. in the healthcare arena where we are talking about life and death decisions every day. Right. It occurs to me. I think that if... brings up a good point. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead, Caitlin. I think, you know, that you're always going to run into situations, um, you know, where... We, we, I, I joke and said we have a mostly female providers here with one gentleman. So I think most people know what they're getting into when they come to see us. But if they are shocked, I think once you, or if, if they have an issue with one of our providers, once you speak and we speak on that, gen, that level of genuine empathy toward the patients, it's really about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, if your basic needs aren't meant, nothing else is going to really be um, acceptable. You're not going to be able to ascend. So if we're talking about you have an, you know, a health issue, it, you kind of, everything else is kind of pushed to the side. So I'm, like Dr. said, she's looking, she's coming at you as a person-to-person basis. Yes, she's a physician, but that doesn't really matter at that time. She's going to be using her gifts and talents and education, just like our other providers, to really talk to you on a human level, an empathetic level, and figure out how we can help you. And I think once you get that type of care, um, and unfortunately that care is not always what you get everywhere you go in healthcare, it changes your perspective on what and what's possible and hopefully changes your perspective if there is any if there are any issues when it comes to gender or cultural based biases Sure. And I also always uh, (laughs) counsel my friends and colleagues and whoever comes and vents to me from a leadership perspective 
um, if something like that happens, don't become defensive. That makes it even mm-hmm. worse. Mm-hmm. So if somebody states something, if I'm the provider and I have a consumer uh, feeling uncomfortable, I would try to see if I can sit down and converse through it. But if that situation is already too far gone, then you need to get out in a very uh, genuine and, and professional manner and let other um, staff take it to the next step. Sure. So I, mm-hmm. I think that once we become defensive and start arguing about it, right. then we've created a worse situation. It is. So you've just uh, uh, convinced them that what they thought about you before was true. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. <clears throat> so it, it is sometimes they just want to feel, they want to hear it. They want to hear from you that you care about them. It's exactly. really not about your gender or your ethnicity. It's just a, an unfounded fear in them. So mm-hmm. how do you calm them down? By showing who you really are. And that's been my only way mm-hmm. through this. It occurs to me as both of you are talking that uh, we have quite an opportunity in healthcare. When you think about the number of people involved in this in- industry around the world, if we can get this, get this point about how do we really um, create relationships between all of the people and all of the spokes of the wheel <clears throat> that we interact with um, and, and keeping the patient at the center of it, um, we will impact the entire world where you know people are feeling fearful or fear, feeling um, uh, something has to go the exact way that I think it has to go or it's, it's going to be bad for me. If they can open up a little bit and see each person I interact with is bringing to me a gift that I wouldn't have otherwise. And likewise, I have a gift to give them too. Some of that fear goes down and it no longer has to be just the way you want it. So we could really impact peace in the world through our, or, uh, our industry. And I also would like to add to it saying that we should not forget the providers in this uh, need. So I feel like from physicians to physician assistants, nurse practitioners, nurses, and so on, have their own internal fears and concerns about their employment, about their um, ability to retain the, <coughs> their salaries, to support their families. The, the, these providers are human as well. So there is a fear, and I think it becomes a very important administrative responsibility to make them feel that strength, make them feel that secure uh, security in their professions because they've spent all of their lives spending the time in adding skills and knowledge to be who they are. And then you have a very uncertain healthcare landscape. And that's a very difficult situation for providers, for physicians, and for nurses. So I believe that that feeling of security is so important for them to be able to then go on and show to the patient, the consumer, how much they care about it. So it's a, it comes 360 degrees. We have just uh, maybe five or six minutes or here, so... But um, that is, you just brought up a topic I'm very interested in, this concept of unsecure landscape. So, um, you know, as we're trying to plan the future of healthcare in each organization, each <clears throat> uh, diff- different department or uh, uh, focus that, that people have, uh, there's so many things that come in that impact, like our government and not knowing what are we going to have in five years, ten years Etc. Can we trust that that um, we're going to be able to have what we need when we go forward? I'm just getting a message. We just have a couple minutes, so if you could 
uh, sure. tie that whole thing up in, in a couple minutes, that big subject. <clears throat> Do sure. you feel confident? And to me, it is about creating a family. How does our our nuclear family trust that we are going to provide for them, we're going to protect them, you're going to keep them safe, and you're going to be there in tough times as well as in happy moments. That is the same way I want to see my employment environment. My staff are my extended family. So when each one of them, you talk to them, they will tell you that if there is a personal problem, we will be there for them. We will support them so that they feel that secureness in, in this environment so that when they go and treat my patients, they treat them with the respect that they are receiving. So to, at the end of the day, to me, patient-driven healthcare starts at the core of where the um, the providers whose skills are primarily so important in, in determining the outcomes of, of the patients, we need to make sure that the patients and the physicians the, and the nurses feel secure. They feel comfortable in their environment. And my, part of my uh, passion is, in addition to bringing this patient-driven healthcare change, it is also to find the ways to make my physician colleagues and my nursing colleagues feel more secure in their environments. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. And that's maybe a good place for us to stop here. I guess as you were talking about, all of these different providers are working so hard to add to their knowledge base, their confidence, their um, you know, critical things that they need to know in order to be able to be there for the patients. I think this whole concept of relational, uh, co- uh, collaborative is, is uh, another area that needs to be focused on far more than probably it is now. There's just so many people that <clears throat> I think would, would like the concept of it if they could understand what does it mean for me? What would that require from me? And could I do that? And I think Absolutely. so many times people, um, they don't know what that is. And I guess the example I, I give is when I was working in OB as a labor and delivery nurse, what I kept finding with um, couples is that uh, they went to the the um, labor classes together. And at some point during the woman's labor, she looks at her husband and she says, you know what I know, and that's not much. I'm not listening to you anymore. And the husband doesn't know what to do. I mean, he really doesn't have that experience to know what to do. So we are really down to the limit here. So I want to thank both of you for being on the show today. It's been a wonderful conversation, both Dr. Tillich and Caitlin Ryder. Thank you for joining me. And um, thank all of the audience for joining us also. And I hope that you will join us again next Monday. This is Leanne Meyer. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.